Welcome to the G3 Podcast, a weekly podcast focused on the Christian life where we examine doctrinal and cultural issues that impact God's church. My name is Josh Bice, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy Volo. Jeremy, good to have you with us today. I'm excited about our podcast today, our conversation with a very special guest as we're going to be talking about preaching, we're going to be talking about worship, we're going to be talking with none other than the doctor himself. Oh man, I count it a privilege and honor to be with you today, and I cannot wait for this conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a great day. How are things looking over in Los Angeles? Very good. Sunny and warm as usual. I'm in the basement of the Master's Seminary here recording this, and uh, yeah, everything's beautiful Southern California. Fantastic. Well, as we think about the subject of worship, we're going to be having a conference here in just a few months. We're going to be gathering in Atlanta for the annual G3 conference, and we're going to be centering that conference on the subject of worship. And as we think about worship, we must understand the importance of worship as we think about the elements, uh, the, the structure of worship, uh, worship service, how we engage in the worship of God publicly with the gathered church it's it's critically important that we get this right because it shapes how we will worship god how we will teach another generation to worship god and so with that in mind we need to be thinking about the importance of preaching and so as we dive into this conversation today we have the privilege to have dr stephen lawson with us he serves as a professor of preaching at the Master Seminary in California, and he also has been a pastor for a number of years and is extremely qualified to discuss this subject with us. And so without further ado, welcome to the G3 Podcast, Dr. Lawson. Hey, it is a privilege to be with you, Josh and Jeremy. As we think about the subject of preaching and as we think about worship, Dr. Lawson, how would you describe biblical preaching? Well, biblical preaching very simply um, starts with a text of Scripture and stays with a text of Scripture and interprets and then applies with exhortation that passage of Scripture. Um, it does not start with a felt need. It does not start with uh, the culture. Uh, it actually starts with God. It starts with God's Word. And it is uh, committed to opening up uh, the meaning and showing the relevance of a passage of Scripture uh, to a person's life. And so it, it uh, J.I. Packer has defined it with these three words, letting text talk. And so it's really letting text talk. Um, the preacher really has nothing to say apart from the word of God. And so he is simply a mouthpiece for a text of scripture. Uh, he reads it, he teaches it, he exhorts with it. That's very simple what, uh, what expository preaching or biblical preaching is. He, 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 he says what the text says. He goes where the text goes. He, he demands what the text demands. He encourages with what the text encourages. Um, he is simply letting text talk through him. Dr. Lawson, I know having been in some of your preaching classes, which have been a highlight of my theological training, you're always making the emphasis of precisely what you just said, but how 
the preacher is simply the conduit for God to speak, simply wanting God's word to be communicated to his people. And my question is, as we approach this subject of worship, how is preaching central to Christian worship? Why why is it to be the pinnacle and and how is it to be central in the worship of the church? Well, we cannot worship an unknown God, and preaching makes God known. Uh, the chief purpose of the Word of God is to make known the God of the Word. And so the primary worship leader is the preacher of the Word of God. Uh, the one who leads in music is a secondary worship leader. But no song can compare with a sermon. Um, in depth and breadth and height, and profundity, um, the preaching of the Word of God is to really lead the people of God in worshiping God. Um, we want exaltational exposition, meaning exposition that exalts and magnifies uh, the greatness of God. Uh, the preaching of the word really should be a coronation service uh, in which we are crowning God uh, with uh, our adulation, admiration, adoration. Um, and so the, the man who preaches the word should be igniting the hearts of the people uh, in their worship of God. But even before that, they should be instructing their minds as to who God is, something of the greatness and, and the grandeur of God. So uh, preaching is at the very epicenter um, of true, authentic worship in the church. Uh, nothing is more primary than the preaching of the word. Now, Dr. Lawson, I, I know that as you talk about the mind and engaging the mind, uh, some of our listeners may be scratching their heads because there's a common conception of worship as being centrally an emotional experience. And as they approach worship, and honestly, I think a lot of people consider worship to be simply the time of singing or music. Um, why is the mind essential and are emotions important in worship? Well, true worship begins with the mind. So if you immediately go to the emotions, you're just simply manipulating people. Um, yeah. True worship, uh, John 4, verse 24, we shall worship God in spirit. That's a small s, meaning our innermost being, and in truth, uh, until we hear the truth about who God is and what he has done for us, there is no genuine worship of God. Uh, it's just simply an emotional um, re response to a style of music or something that's going on. But that would be very shallow and lack any kind of depth whatsoever. So it must begin with the mind and then the heart affections um, are ignited with passion for God, to love God with all of our soul and being. But it must also affect the will as well, uh, that we are resolved and determined to, to live for the, the greatness of this God that of, of whom we have been uh, hearing and now worshiping. So mind, affections, and will, all true worship must affect all three. Dr. Lawson, I want to ask you about two individuals that you know and, and have known very well. 
and I want to ask you some personal questions about them and how they've impacted your life. So let's begin with Dr. R.C. Sproul. How has Dr. Sproul and how did he impact you as it relates to the subject of your theological development and the preaching of the gospel? Well, R.C. Sproul first impacted me with his book, The Holiness of God. Um, as I read that book, um, my heart, my life, my soul was transported to a higher level um, of worshiping God in his holiness. And so he immediately impacted me with that book. I then decided as I was pursuing a doctor of ministry that I would go study wherever this man was teaching. And so he was teaching at Reformed Theological Seminary. So I enrolled and, and sat under him and it was, it was a dramatic, um, life changing experience for me, uh, on many different levels. Um, the first class was called communication and it really dealt with preaching, uh, but also nonverbal communication, uh, as well. But specifically what God used in my life from Dr. Sproul, uh, was an attempt to master the English language. Um, because when you stand up to preach, the only thing that you have going for you is what's coming out of your mouth. Um, you, ha you have an open Bible, you have a set of notes and nothing else. Um, I'm often asked, can we use, uh, overhead, you know, videos when you preach? And I, I, and I said, if you can't preach, by all means, use a video. But if, if you can preach, you don't need a crutch. Uh, somehow for 2,000 years and really almost 6,000 years, we've gotten along just fine uh, without that. Uh, but Dr. Sproul got through to me what many people had tried to convince me of in earlier years, teachers, professors, parents, and that is to be able to use the English language in an effective way. Everything from, from synonyms to sentence structure um, uh, to grammar and the like, uh, figures of speech, uh, painting pictures in people's minds, um, etc. And I, I, was, I was so greatly helped because I was so greatly in need. Um, I was rough around the edges. I was murdering the English language. And he really provided polish for my pulpit ministry, uh, polish that I desperately needed. Um, so I, I thank the Lord for, uh, for Dr. Sproul and that influence in my life. He influenced me in many other ways as well. Um, he was just such a, a personable individual with a keen sense of humor and endeared himself to people. I mean, some people, some preachers, either you like them or you don't like them. Uh, with Dr. Sproul, you liked him. Even if you didn't mm -hmm. agree with him, you liked him. And mm -hmm. you recognized genius. Uh, you recognized brilliance. But you also recognized someone that deeply cared that you would understand um, the riches of theology. So, so that was Dr. Sproul and, uh, you know, the podcast wouldn't be long enough to, to go <laughs> into every other area in which he influenced me. 
but but that was what I needed uh, yeah. at that time in my life. Let's talk about John MacArthur. How has Dr. MacArthur's ministry, uh, his friendship, how has that impacted the way that you approach biblical preaching? Well, um, no one has been more gracious and kind to me outside of my own family than John MacArthur. Um, he has reached out to me and been a friend. He's been a close friend. He's been a confidant the whole while, the whole time being a mentor as well by example. And what I've learned from Dr. MacArthur is, is really a commitment to the text of scripture, to the details of the text of scripture, um, to the word studies, to the verb tenses, um, to the the intricacies of that text and how to interpret that text with cross-references, historical background, um, and the like. Um, And so he really drew me into a more exegetical exposition that was more deeply rooted and grounded um, in the text of Scripture, even in the original languages. Um, And then further... Uh, he is a theological expositor, and he's always extracting the doctrine out of a passage of Scripture. Much like Martin Lloyd-Jones asked, what is preaching? He said it is theology on fire. And, and Dr. MacArthur has exemplified that. And so his influence, I, I've been listening to him. Wow, I, I first heard him preach in the 1970s, just to give you some idea how old I am. Josh, your grandfather was not born yet um, <laughs> at, at that point. Your, your grandfather hadn't crossed the Atlantic Ocean yet to, to come <laughs> to the colonies. But uh, Dr. MacArthur has, is always looking for the theology in, in a text of scripture. And um, so I've, I've learned those two things from, from his preaching, exegesis and theology. Mm. Um, and obviously, I've learned uh, many other things as well, but those two uh, especially stand out. You put R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, and Stephen Lawson on the golf course. Who has mm. the better game? Wow. Well, R.C. Sproul, uh, when I first met him, was a scratch golfer, which means he would shoot even par for an average round of golf. Um, John MacArthur was a phenomenal athlete and has shot in the mid seventies many, 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 many times with me. And R.C. Sproul, I would say maybe even the last 11 times I played golf with him right up until the end, uh, with the exception of those last couple of rounds, he shot his age. So that, that's, that's very rare. So that means if you're 72 years old, you shoot a 72 or lower. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so those are two great golfers. And uh, I, I certainly would not take uh, the spotlight away from, from those two men. And, and Jeremy, golf is a game that's played <laughs> with, a, with, Here we a, go. with a small, with a small ball that's hard. Okay, it, it, it's uh, not, and and you wear male clothing <laughs> to, to play this sport. So, so we're bringing up soccer. We're doing it, huh? <laughs> we're we're actually bear, burying soccer, not bringing it up. 
I love how in a, in a week of classes with you, Dr. Lawson, I think every class at some point you would turn looking directly at me to make a remark about soccer players. That was definitely a highlight. Yeah, well, there's no goalie in golf. There's no goalie in football, baseball. There's a reason for that, okay? There's goaltending in basketball. Uh, soccer allows you to in- interfere, interrupt the game. Which makes yeah. it kind of a it's kind of a socialist sport, but anyway. <laughs> I, I know you have plenty more ammunition for the soccer. <laughs> I, <laughs> we could, we I'm could just a, the rest of the time. <laughs> I'm just a truth teller. Just a truth teller. I love it. Um, speaking, you you had mentioned uh, MacArthur and and speaking about his influence in your life, and I I have the privilege of being here at the Master's Seminary listening to, to Pastor John week in and week out. And yeah, yeah, you're down in the basement, but go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they let me out sometimes uh, on once a week. But, but just it's astonishing to see that here in the heart of Los Angeles, you have Pastor John's ministry where he does not mince words from the pulpit. There's an unequivocal declaration of God's truth. And when you visited this summer and preached for two weekends in a row, which was a, a privilege for us to sit under, it was the same reality, mincing no words, speaking God's truth exactly how he's revealed it. And in an age of consumerism, where our churches are are being built around seeking to satisfy the consumer, how has that affected our preaching? And I think more specifically, how do we get back to that that declaration of, of truth in a bold unequivocal, unapologetic fashion? Well, it's very simple. We're trying to impress the wrong congregation. Uh, We're trying to impress man with our entertainment, with our consumerism, rather than impressing God with the truth. And so it's very simple. If you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. And if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. So preaching is very simple. You just please God. And we, we've lost sight of that. We're, we're trying to gain the approval of men rather than amens out of heaven. So we, we've got to come back to who is our audience? Who is our congregation? And that really is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's our primary congregation. And we preach for their pleasure. It brings pleasure to the heart of God to hear his word opened and expounded. And it is a message that uh, does comfort the afflicted, but it also afflicts the comfortable. And so it is a message that comes with great power that convicts the flesh and humbles the proud, but it also elevates the one who is lowly in spirit. But it really just is as simple as coming back to, to, to preach God's word, to not edit God, to not censor God, to not draw from the culture, not draw from society, but, but really to bring a transcendent message that has come down from the throne of God above. Yeah, that's very good. We're going to be right back with Dr. Stephen Lawson as we're talking about the subject of preaching and worship. We'll return in just a moment. So we worship the God who is holy. We worship the God who is righteous. We worship the God who pours out his wrath 
and at the same time we bow ourselves in humble adoration because we deserve that wrath too but he saves us in spite of that the church of jesus is redeemed and called to worship god therefore worship matters this january we will gather for a very important conference on worship in which we will address important questions like is God concerned with how we worship Him? As we consider the different ways in which we worship God, from the public reading of Scripture, prayer, the preaching of God's Word, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, is anything optional? Are we free to rearrange, reinvent, or repackage worship to accommodate cultural trends or the preferences of people? We must not overlook the privilege of worship. Not only does God receive our worship, but as a result, we are changed and transformed as we engage in the worship of our triune God. Look at this. You will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do you see this? Well, I don't want any of that doctrine stuff. Well, then you, you have to go to hell. What we believe will determine our eternal destiny, the doctrine, the teaching that we hold to. Why do we study doctrine? Our life depends upon it. Join us this January as we will enjoy fellowship, spiritual growth, and the worship of God at the 2020 G3 Conference. For information and reservations, visit g3conference.com. Dr. Lawson, as we think about and reflect uh, on church history and we think about individuals that that really helped recover the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center of that that stage, if you will, you'll have an individual by the name of Martin Luther. And many people, as we study history, we, we tend to think about Martin Luther's ministry as centered on the 95 Theses, or we think about his stand at at the at the Diet of Worms, or we think about other elements related to his his ministry. But in your excellent book that you wrote, The Heroic Boldness of Martin Luther, you wrote uh, early on in that book that we should remember Martin Luther primarily as a preacher. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, Martin Luther was deeply grounded in the Word of God, and he was in many ways a walking Bible. And it just flowed out of him. In fact, he even translated the, the Bible into the German language, at least the New Testament and parts of the Old Testament. And so he was just uh, full of the Bible. So it only stands to reason that he would also be a preacher of the Word of God as well. And he preached uh, not only on Sundays, he preached throughout the week. Uh, wherever he traveled, pulpits opened up to him. It was expected if he was in a town that he would preach. Uh, you mentioned the Diet of Worms, 1521, great stand that he made April the 18th. Um, not many people know, but he actually preached his way across Germany uh, en route to Worms. Um, he could have actually arrived sooner, but he just went from city to city to city preaching, preaching, preaching 
um, en route to Worms. Um, he was uh, an incredible preacher. And uh, sometime back, uh, the men in my church gave me the, I think it's something like 56 volume set of the complete works of Martin Luther. What, what is amazing is that more than anything else, there are more sermons in that complete set than there are letters or writings or treatises. Um, he, he, he was a preacher. In fact, it's been said that as you read Luther, you should really read him out loud uh, so that you would hear the preacher's voice and the preacher's tone. Um, he, he said the gospel was meant, is meant to be shouted. Um, he said the church is not to be a pen house, but a mouth house. And by that, he meant the church is not supposed to be a reading club where we just gather together and someone reads out of a book to us. Uh, rather, the church is to be a mouth house where we come to church and a preacher opens his mouth and heralds and proclaims the word of God. So he was a preacher. He called for strong preaching. In fact, in the Reformation, as Germany, Saxony um, became reformed, um, the, the Catholic priests who are now joining the reform movement had really never been trained in the Bible. And so Luther actually wrote the sermons for the other preachers in Germany and known as postals. And not only was he preaching from his pulpit, uh, the people's church there in Wittenberg, and sometimes also from the castle church in Wittenberg, but he was also preaching out of every other pulpit as well, as, as the other preachers were reading the sermons that Luther had written for them um, to, to proclaim in their pulpits. So he was very much uh, a preacher, as were as was Calvin, as was Knox, et cetera, et cetera. Speaking of the Reformation, Dr. Lawson, of uh, of which these preachers, Luther, Calvin, Knox, were a part and, and really instrumentally used by the Lord to uh, overthrow the, the grip that the, the Roman Catholic Church had had upon Europe. Uh, one of the primary tenets was the doctrine or the teaching of sola scriptura. Can you explain what that is and why that is so critically important when it comes to preaching? Well, sola is a Latin word for alone or only. And um, at the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church uh, affirms uh, scriptura et, meaning scripture and. So they believed in scripture and the Pope, Scripture and the Ecclesiastical Council, Scripture and church tradition, Scripture and, and, and. And the Reformers came and said, no, very emphatically, it is sola scriptura, it is Scripture alone. By that, they meant that the, the plumb line for truth, the highest arbitrator in the church, um, is the Word of God. All that matters is what does Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have to say? Not, not, not even the church fathers, uh, not even the, the, the ecclesiastical uh, leaders in the church. And so sola, sola scriptura means that the scripture will be the sole determiner uh, of truth 
in the church and everything that does not line up with scripture is in error. Um, the scripture would regulate the worship of the church, became known as the regulative principle, uh, such that they would only do in worship what the scripture requires and, and, or, or has a, a practice of. Um, Sola Scriptura really became the foundation for the church. Um, and then the doctrine that they preached and taught were like pillars that were put in place on top of the foundation of Sola Scriptura. So everything in the church rested upon the authority of Scripture. So that's why it was so fundamentally important. And it brought back into the church expository preaching. Uh, Ulrich Zwingli began to preach through Matthew um, in Zurich. And then Calvin began to preach through the, uh, the majority of the Bible in Geneva. And other reformers began to preach sequentially through books in the Bible. And it was the greatest back to the Bible movement in the history of the world. Uh, that really took the church all the way back to the apostolic age. And the charge that the Catholic Church made against John Calvin was that you have invented a new religion. And Calvin responded by saying, no, it's actually you who have invented a new religion. We go back to the apostles. We go back to Christ. We go back to the prophets and what they have said and what is recorded in the scripture. So um, Sola Scriptura was really the, 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 the cornerstone, if you will, doctrine uh, that had to be placed first. And then everything else had to be in alignment with Sola Scriptura. Very good, Dr. Lawson. As we think about the subject of worship and we think about the local church and how we gather for worship, Certainly it can be said that we gather in small groups or we gather in a Sunday school class or we gather in some sort of teaching setting and a teacher, uh, maybe an elder in the church, someone stands up and teaches the word. But then when we gather for the, the public gathering of the church, for the public worship of God, the, the preaching pastor preaches the word. Now, as we think about the the, the two elements here, teaching and preaching, how are they the same, but yet how are they different? Well, they're the same in that all preaching starts with teaching, um, which is the information, the truth, the doctrine, the theology. But preaching goes beyond teaching. Uh, preaching stands on the shoulders of teaching and reaches higher and goes further. Um Teaching really is like starting a, a, a car in first gear, but preaching speed shifts into fourth gear. Um, it, there is greater passion. Uh, there is greater exhortation. Uh, there is not only application, but there is persuasion uh, with the attempt to convince and to win over the listener. Teaching is fundamentally the impartation of information to the mind mm. where preaching goes deeper than just the mind. That's only the entry level. Uh, it must go deeper to the heart and it must also then compel the will. And so where teaching is fundamentally information, preaching is transformation. 
Uh, it is to see the life transformed. And that is why there must be application and exhortation and persuasion um, to win over the listener and to move the listener uh, to a course of action. Uh, in preaching, you stand at the intersection of life and you are flagging people who are on the broad road to enter through the narrow gate, um, where with teaching, you're, you're more simply uh, diagramming the narrow gate and exegeting the narrow gate. But with preaching, you're actually persuading people and compelling people, um, inviting and even summoning people to enter through the narrow gate. So it goes beyond sentence diagramming and and word studies and historical background of the narrow gate. Preaching is actually intentionally um, attempting to win people over to enter through the narrow gate. Mm, very good. I think you exemplify that in your preaching on a regular basis. But as we think about preaching, who would you say is the greatest preacher? Uh, as far as just the proclamation of the word uh, throughout church history outside of the biblical text? Yeah, well, I would not be the only person who would say this. Um, I think it would be the man known as the Prince of Preachers. That would be Charles Haddon Spurgeon, mm. who was the great Baptist preacher in London in the latter half of the 19th century. Um, he is, I believe, without question, the most gifted and the most theologically um, robust uh, preacher that God has ever given to the church, as well as the most evangelistic pastor that God has ever given to the church. Uh, just a footnote, he had only one mentor uh, in his life after whom he patterned his preaching. He added, other than my mentor, uh, other than my master, uh, which would be Christ, but the one that m that he deliberately modeled his preaching after was George Whitfield. So I, I I think you know we would need to at least mention Whitfield in the discussion, um, as Spurgeon was something of a latter day Whitfield. But I, I think Spurgeon rises above the centuries and is first uh, on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, of great preachers down through the centuries. And I, and I think history would verify that. Dr. Lawson, as, as young uh, Christians and, and really from every generation are listening to you, and in the last few years, there's really encouragingly been a resurgence of biblical truth and a commitment to, to God's word and, and returning to sola scriptura. But as, as a young man who is pursuing the ministry or or believes they may have a call to preach what what words of practical advice would you give as as they've been listening to and seeing the difference between sort of the popular form of preaching and then they hear someone like yourself um or or pastor john or an rc sproul preaching how how do they practically move toward uh that that form of preaching that is true to God's word and really encapsulates everything you've been describing? What are some practical aids for that young man seeking to pursue a ministry of biblical preaching? Well, I think it begins with, first of all, he needs to sit under strong 
biblical expository preaching. Um, he can listen to it with podcasts. He can read it in books. But first and foremost, I, I think he needs to be there live. And there is an experience received uh, under preaching that cannot be duplicated otherwise. And so he needs to seek out strong expository preaching and for him to see, but more than see, for him to feel and experience. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? Um, Because great preaching is as much caught as it is taught. Um, So that would be number one. Uh, Number two, he should listen to podcasts of great preachers. Uh, I mean, in this day and age with the Internet and podcasts, you would have to be lazy not to listen to the greatest preaching in the world. Um, And he needs to absorb that. I would also say he should not have just one example set before him. Uh, He should have multiple mentors whether live or through podcasts or through books, uh, such that he learns something uh, from each man. Uh, he, he learns different aspects of preaching because no one man is uh, the, the complete package. Um, he should also study great preachers from the past, and um, he should also study systematic theology, and he should be one who reads uh, through the Bible, and such that when he stands up to speak, he would be able to be one who would just bleed the Bible. So he needs to know his Bible, and he needs to know preaching, he needs to know great preaching, he needs to know theology. I mean, those are the things that I would say. Obviously, he needs to be a man of prayer. Obviously, he needs to be a man of purity. Uh, those two things should really go without, almost without saying. Um, it's these other areas that require more of a, of a, of an accent being given or an emphasis. Dr. Lawson, we're looking forward to having you back at the G3 conference this January on the subject of worship. And as we think about that subject, uh, it's critically important to think about the normative principle and the regulative principle and how we should approach the worship of God. And so when we think about that, uh, you mentioned it earlier about the regulative principle. Um, how would you encourage a younger preacher today in terms of uh, as they're shaping their approach to pulpit ministry? Uh, sometimes people think that they have more gray area and liberty to make decisions versus, you know, the specific boundaries of the text of scripture. What would you say to a young preacher today who's just now starting to shape the trajectory of his pulpit ministry? Well, I would say this, Josh, I I don't think any young man has the freedom to reinvent preaching. Uh, That's way beyond his pay grade and it's way beyond his ability. Um, He needs to follow the biblical example and the biblical commands that are given in scripture. And in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, Paul lays down really what what are the guidelines and what are the boundaries He says to Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Uh, Those three areas uh, are a minimalist uh, understanding of the non-negotiable three component parts of preaching. Uh, Read the text, teach the text, 
exhort with a text. Um, he, he cannot color outside of those lines. Um, he, he must stay focused uh, upon that. And obviously there are subcategories that would be given uh, under those, but there's nothing gray there. It's very black and white. It's very definitive. And as we read the text, obviously we're making a statement that everything I have to say to you today is going to come from this passage of scripture. Uh, as we uh, read the text, it's to be understood you're also explaining, interpreting the text for the congregation. Uh, when he says teaching, that's referring to the doctrine, uh, pulling the theology out of a passage of scripture. And then the exhortation is to show the practical relevance of this passage and then to come alongside the listener and to exhort them, to encourage them, to challenge them, to rebuke them, to reprove them, to lift them up, to motivate them, uh, to summon and invite them. Um, those are the elements of true biblical preaching. Um, it, it's, it's not getting up and talking about yourself, the thoughts that you have, uh, trying to be a culture warrior. Um, certainly we can address issues in the culture that need to be addressed, but everything is flowing out of the word of God. I want to say it again. The preacher has nothing to say apart from the word of God. And he has no authority whatsoever except as he preaches the word of God because the scripture is authoritative. So um, I, I would say to young men today that that you don't need to come up with a new way to communicate the Bible. Uh, man has not changed. Human nature has not changed. Uh, the word of God has not changed. Uh, the commitment of the Holy Spirit to honor the preaching of the word of God has not changed. The spirit has come into the world to convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That has not changed. And so we need to remain true uh, to the teaching of scripture and not try to be clever uh, and not try to um, uh, adapt our style uh, to a certain um, age group. Listen, the word of God transcends every age group. It speaks to every single person on planet earth, whatever culture you're in, whatever age group you're in, whatever continent you live on, the word of God addresses you specifically and directly. And so as you preach, you let the word of God uh, address people. We don't have to make the Bible relevant. It is relevant. We just simply show its relevance. So, Josh, that, that, that would be what I would say. Obviously, there are many more things that I would want to have time to say, uh, to clarify, but I would only be re-emphasizing yeah. what I just said. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the G3 podcast today, Dr. Lawson. If you want to find out more about Dr. Lawson's ministry, you can visit uh, the website onepassionministries.org. You can find out about uh, his weekly men's Bible study. You can find out more about the Institute uh, on Expository Preaching. And then, of course, you can find out more about his preaching schedule as well. And so as we uh, think about this upcoming conference in January. Dr. Lawson will be with us. He'll be preaching there. So we would like to, to invite you to join us in January for the G3 conference.
to thank you for joining us for this episode of the G3 Podcast. Thank you so much, Josh, and thank you, Jeremy.